I will praise the name of the Lord. I will love Him. Though everything seems foreign and terrible and awful, yet I will follow Him. Not a group of people, not one man, not a uh, this, that, or the other, not some movement, no. To the wind with all of that, I will follow God. I will seek Him. I will search Him out. I will hunt Him down even if it does not seem like I can find Him in the midst of the situation because He promises that He's there. Because He says ultimately, guess what? If you seek Me, if you're actually a true seeker of God, if you try and look for Me, you will find Me. But here's what God does sometimes. Here's, here's part of the difficulties of the Christian life. Here's what God does sometimes. Sometimes, He withdraws Himself from us. Sometimes He does. It doesn't mean that He's left us, but sometimes He withdraws His felt presence from us and allows us to experience things that we think are terrible, awful, wicked, heinous, etc., in order that he might reveal to us and reveal to the world what our heart actually is and what it actually wants. So, some, some firsts today. Um, some kind of odd firsts. Uh, first time I've ever preached from Habakkuk. First time I've ever preached what I would even call a topical sermon, uh, even though we're going to try and exposit the text and work through the actual verses here. Uh, and also the first time ever uh, that every single cross-reference is also Old Testament. Uh, so I know that we're jumping out of John a little bit, but uh, here's one of the things that I, I'm hoping and praying. God has really used this section of text to speak to um, a lot of my own sin and a lot of my own um, desire sometimes to be able to to have my own desired outcome in whatever the situation is and i think that's all too common of so many of us we 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 think about planning and pre-planning and then we want to see all of our plans and our efforts come to pass in a certain way that looks exactly how we intended that they would come to pass and when we actually look at that, uh, and again, as you're turning to Habakkuk chapter 3, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16 through 19, um, as we look at that, don't, don't we think this? God, we know you're sovereign. We know that in the Bible, you and you alone are God, yet we, we, we want it our way. We want it, we want it to, to come to pass in a way that makes us feel good or makes us happy or advances us in some perceived way. And when we angle our life towards whatever we're dealing with, whether it's an external conflict or an internal conflict, uh, and we'll talk about that here in a minute, when we do those things, think, think about what that produces. Pride, selfishness, uh, lack of desire to trust God, uh, lack of faith. And so if we become falsely sovereign in our own eyes, who are we ultimately trying to combat? God, the God of the universe. So here's the guy who literally created things like molecules, atoms, subatomic particles, uh, math, gravity. And we're going to say, God, you know what? You're infinite. You're perfect in your providence, yet I, I know what's best for me. Um, a lot of times when we would do uh, a three to four hour mission when I was in the military, sometimes just a three to four hour mission would literally take 30 to 40 hours of continuous planning with sometimes upwards of 100 people. Almost continuous, day and night in isolation, where we would work through how those three hours were going to transpire in the exact manner that we wanted them to transpire. And so what would we do? We'd plan, we'd plan, we'd plan. We'd go through our MLCOA and our MDCOA, so our most likely course of action, our most dangerous course of action, and we would, we would do what we called a pace plan for each one of those. So we would have a primary alternate contingency in an emergency, in an emergency plan for all the possible scenarios in which we might be faced with. And so guess what would happen when the first thing got blown up or the bullets start flying? Almost all of that went away. <laughs> Almost every single bit of that went away and you're forced to react to something that you can't control. But here's what we can do. We can react rightly. We can react rightly even if we're not the ones who are ultimately pulling the, the overarching, the big emphasis shots. So that's what I hope we see in the text today. Um, did I miss anything? Was I supposed to announce something else? 
I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll announce that one at the end. All right, I just want to make sure. Again, my lovely wife, who remembers so much more than I do, everything and anything, uh, also my human calendar. So I'm so thankful for her and her ability to remember things. <laughs> if you don't mind, please bow with me. Father God, that you would open the Scripture to us. God, that you would use the Holy Spirit in a mighty way, Lord, to um, bring understanding to this text. And God, I, I just, I dearly pray that this is so applicatory to our lives that the way that we would respond interact and deal with, uh, Lord, whatever perceived curveballs get thrown our way in life, uh, whatever difficult times, uh, maybe externally or difficult times internally, that we come up against, God, that you would use your word, Lord, that you would, you would have everything that we're doing just fade away. Let us focus on your word. Let us see you in the text. And God, let us trust you. God, impart an extra measure of grace that we would be able to see the beauty of the truth of this text and to walk it out as we have seen biblical examples walked out. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We honor you. Father God, it's in your name we pray and according to the will we ask. Amen. Uh, and, and again, um, this is, uh, let me try and set the, the backdrop uh, for Habakkuk here. Interesting book uh, in the Old Testament, kind of one of those lesser known ones, and in my Bible it's actually only three pages long. So it's very easy to flip, flip through, uh, considered a minor prophet uh, for, the, uh, for the Israelites. And understand this, this is also a very unique book in that this is one of the few uh, prophetic books where we really only hear the prophet and God talking back and forth. We don't actually see Habakkuk going out into the streets and preaching or delivering a message to any people. It's really just Habakkuk kind of complaining about the situation on the ground, God answering him, and then God saying, you know how I'm going to make it better? By making it a whole lot worse. By making it exponentially worse than you would have ever desired. In order that I might bring myself glory and I might bring about the change that I desire to see happen in Israel in the kingdom of Judah. Uh, so understand those, those unique perspectives about this book as we prepare. Again, this is Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. I, Habakkuk, heard, and that would be, I heard the word of the Lord. I heard His response to me. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the, stoles, in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation." The Lord God is my strength, and He has made my feet like hinds feet, and He makes me walk on my high places for the choir director on my stringed instruments. Interesting ending, and we'll, we'll talk about all this, but I want you to see, see, see how we start in the beginning. Everything is awful and terrible. I feel like a physical wreck. I see that calamity is about to come upon my people, yet I praise you, yet I love you. Yet I care about what you've said to me so much. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a ditty and I'm going, to, I'm going to give this over to my people who make music and I'm going to set this to music. That's how much I love you, God. That's how much I love you. Again, I, I, love, reading, uh, I love reading through usually the Scripture twice uh, in, in the midst of a, a sermon. I think most of you guys know that pattern. Uh, you, you've seen that pattern kind of come forth and here's the reason. Most of what I say is absolutely meaningless <laughs> as I hold it to the words of God. However, if I interpret this correctly, I exposit this correctly, I lay this out correctly in front of you, it would be as though God Himself is speaking to you. And if the things that I'm saying are true, if they're biblical, if they're right, if they fit and are framed by sound doctrine in a proper biblical exegesis, a drawing out of the text, the truth, the underlying truth, then again, you will be responsible and held accountable to the things that are said today. So as we prepare to read verses 16 and 17, Habakkuk 3, 16 and 17, let that ruminate, let that kind of fly around in the back of your head. 
I heard and my inward parts trembled at the sound. Remember, this is the sound of the voice of God. My lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I, Habakkuk, must wait quietly for the days of distress for the people, the Chaldeans, we'll talk about that in a second, the people to arise who will come and invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Here's our first point. In God's perfect providence, He may allow us, and again, understand He might not be the one specifically bringing some terrible calamity against us, but ultimately we know that He is the one who would allow these things to transpire or to happen in our lives. Uh, He'll allow us to experience great pain, loss, fear, etc. In God's perfect providence, He may allow us to experience great pain, loss, fear, etc. Now, this is also in your notes, but I just kind of want to work through this real fast. These realities will be, there's only two possible realities of, of this uh, great pain, loss, fear, etc. Put whatever you want, terrible thing in there. Uh, it's either going to be external or internal. So what do we mean by external? Uh, external things, anything outside of literally our physical body. So, uh, you know, our job, finances, uh, house problems, car problems, uh, international war, war in the streets in front of us, uh, the death of others, even if they're immediately related to us. That would still be considered an external issue that I'm having to deal with. Now, internal issues, uh, literally just think about your body for a second, okay? So think about uh, things like sickness, exhaustion, disease, dehydration, any one of those symptoms or maladies that we would actually deal with inside of our body, that would be an internal issue, not motivated by external things, but something that's motivated by what's actually physically going on in our bodies. Those are our only two options that we have in terms of what we react to in the world and what we react with spiritually. It will be either external, Think about the world uh, and the devil uh, and satanic power. That's external, right? Internal. What's internal? Uh, my own body and my wicked heart. Hmm. Those are the only two possibilities in a secular sense or in a spiritual sense. So the truth of the matter is that how we deal with either one of those things, the external or the internal, uh, that will reveal the heart that we actually have. That will reveal the bent of our heart's worship, the desires of our heart, what we truly want. And so this then becomes a mirror or a litmus test really for how real our faith is. How real it is. Um, I can't remember the, uh, I want to say it was Spurgeon, don't quote me on that, but uh, he said, you know, how, how great is your faith? Are you going to be like a chocolate soldier? Who when that soldier is put in the midst of, of battle and the, the raging heat of war comes around him when he just melts? Are you going to be a chocolate Christian? I don't want to be a chocolate Christian. I don't want to be a chocolate human being. I don't want to just melt everything every time something bad happens. That would be kind of stinky and not fun. And, 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 and so think about the people who look to you for any amount of leadership. I can look at almost everyone in here, maybe minus some of the, some of the little kids who are currently with us right now. All right, But everyone in here has people who look up to them or look to them for something. Who need them. Who desire to, 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 to have some effect of their lives transpire in their own. Think about that. How we react will also demonstrate to others what's going on in here. Habakkuk, in short, uh, again, is a book about the inward thoughts and questions of Habakkuk towards God, followed by God's responses. Uh, he spends the first chapter, Habakkuk spends the first chapter complaining and crying out to God for help and deliverance uh, from the unrighteous, from the wicked people who were in the kingdom of Judah. He's not talking external to the kingdom of Judah. He's saying, literally, God, this is the terrible stuff that's going on in the kingdom of Judah. So this would include covenant members of Ultimately, the overarching tribe of Israel. God, we're dealing with trouble in the midst of our own house. I need help. We need help. God's response in chapter 1 and chapter 2 includes promises of terrible judgment of those unrighteous people, those unrighteous members of Judah's society. Here it is, by using a wicked kingdom, ultimately the Chaldeans, to destroy Judah. 
man, there's a curveball. That's not like really the, the flight path of, of what, what Habakkuk thought was going to happen here. Um, you know, he wasn't very excited about it in the text. And in fact, the understanding of, of God's prophecy produces in him when God responds to him, we saw it in, the, in the, the beginning parts of our text, a feeling of his bones decaying while his inward parts are trembling violently. Internal conflict. Internal that's going on inside of him. Now, I would argue, I would argue that just coming into the presence of God, and if we look at Isaiah chapter 6, for example, with Isaiah entering the, the, the presence of God in the temple, I would argue that just God, if, even if God spoke good things to you, and you were a human being on the planet, if his manifest glory showed up, it would be by grace that you were not immediately consumed, first and foremost. It would be by his grace alone that you didn't just die or stroke out, or have a heart attack, or your brain just explode, because you stepped into the, the presence of the glory of God. But then secondly, think about how utterly terrified you would be if you met the Creator of the universe right now. Everyone in here likely would have some amount of fear if they were to meet Goliath, if he bent down and stooped and came through the back door and said, I'm going to punch every Christian in here. We would. We'd have some small amount of fear. We would. Everyone would feel that. Now, think about the guy who created Goliath. Laughing at how insignificant Goliath is. And then compare your reaction to Goliath with your reaction to the Almighty God of the universe. Kind of sets the stage for how Habakkuk's feeling Inwardly, he is an absolute wreck. Outwardly, his whole life and his whole existence and his whole country and his people are about to be a wreck as well. So, so here, here's the thing. Um, say you know that you're going to have a, 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 some kind of awful surgery six months from now. Think about how not fun that would be waiting for that surgery to come to pass. God didn't say, hey, brother, this is going to happen uh, today. He said, no, you're going to wait patiently for this. You're going to wait patiently for this pagan nation to come and destroy you. Oh, that sounds like fun. Thanks, God. I appreciate that. But that's exactly how God wanted to transpire. Even though that may not have been how Habakkuk wanted to transpire, or we want it to transpire as it pertains to anything in our lives, or anything in our church, or anything in our community, or anything in our family, so on and so on and so on. You see, everything Habakkuk wanted, to God, wanted God to do, it, it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen how Habakkuk wanted it to happen. And how often do we do this over things that don't even matter in our own lives? Think about that for a second. How often do we try and play God or to be in control? I'll, I'll be the first to point at myself and say, guilty, guilty, guilty. 100%, no questions asked. How often do we try to be sovereign over our own lives and then we get really upset when things turn out even worse than they were at the beginning before we tried to take control and ultimately wind up making some dumber decision <laughs> or more dumb decision, <laughs> however you want to say it. We see that. And, 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 those, as, as, and, and I know I'm a young man, but, but as I grow in in, 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 in age and my wife would argue maturity uh, as I grow in those things I see that more and more that a lot of times when I've tried to lay my hand to the plow and do things my way rather than how the grand and great and wonderful true farmer uh, tells me to I'm gonna wind up cutting those plow lines all over the place and so we should want to cut it straight we should want to lay our hand to that plow and say God I'm following you I'm gonna draw a straight line I'm gonna do what you want me to do Look with me at the text. This is in uh, Habakkuk 3.16. It's the beginning of verse 16 as an inward stressor. And then we'll look later uh, at the end of 16 and verse 17 as an outward stressor. So this is Habakkuk 3.16a, the beginning part. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble. Inward inward. That's what I want you to see from the text. This is an inward issue that he's dealing with here. He's expressing it inwardly. He's saying, this is my body. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. It's here. It's tangible. I can feel it. It's in me. 
So let, let, me, let me try and explain this in a different way, maybe a, a just kind of um, different words while using the exact framework of Habakkuk's text. Oh God, I hear your voice and my insides are about to explode. I hear what you command and it makes my bones burn and rot. I'm trembling, I'm fearful, and I'm coming apart at the scenes. Think about Isaiah, woe is me for I am undone. Or, or literally, woe is me, I'm coming apart. My parts are trying to flee themselves in the presence of God. Let's, let's overlay simply the flu. Everyone in here has had the flu. No questions asked. Everyone in here has had the flu, unless you're perfect. And no one's perfect in here, so everyone's had the flu. See my logic there? Overlay the flu in this. Oh God, I just heard the news from the doctor, and this virus inside of me is literally trying to crush my immune system. I'm going through intense pain. I'm throwing up. I'm going to keep throwing up. I can't eat and I can't drink anything at all. I have a fever. I'm trembling. I'm fearful. And my body feels like it's coming apart at the seams. Everyone here has experienced that. Every single person in here has experienced that, unless you're an android, in which case you wouldn't get sick. This is an internal pain. This is a reality. This is an inward stressor. This is what I'm trying to get at. Now, let's look at the, the last half of Habakkuk's pain, the outward stressors. So this is 3.16b through 17. Habakkuk 3.16b through 17. Outward stressors. Because I, Habakkuk, must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. What's he saying here? God, you're about to let a pagan nation destroy us, invade us, and occupy us. We are an agrarian, we are a farming society. And we're about to see our crops fail, our economy collapse, we won't have fig trees, we won't have grapes or wine, we won't have oil, we won't have adequate food, we won't have meat, flocks, herds, nothing. Everything that that makes us alive or prosperous, all of it is gone. Or it's about to be gone very shortly thanks to this invading pagan nation. Let's, let's put this into a really crummy American perspective. Let's bring it down to our level and let's look at some outward uh, stress, stressors here. Uh, let's, this is hypothetical. God, you're about to allow a leveraged buyout to kill my retirement. When this new company sweeps in and outsources my job, I will have literally nothing. I won't have my pension, healthcare, retirement, gone. Everything. I will struggle to put food on the table. I have a wife and kids to take care of. I won't have my house and I'm going to have to sell almost everything that I own because I can't afford it all anymore. The car, the nice car that I have, time to trade that in for something that will barely run because I can't make the payments on it. The vacation that I'm planning, that's not going to happen because we don't have the money for it. Our dream retirement, it's not happening. I'm ruined. Outward stressors. What is our response? What's our response here? How do we, how do we, how do we respond uh, to this? Here's a typical response. Here's a typical response of someone who does not have Christ and also a typical response of someone who's a Christian who is so blind to the reality of the fact that God is sovereign in their lives. Both of these people generally respond the same way unless the Christian is truly focused on having faith in God in the midst of crisis. Here's the typical response. Why me, God? Why me? Why would you let this happen to me? Why won't you vindicate me? Why can't I have it my way? Why won't you give this life to that rich guy over there and let me have his life? His life's not that bad. Her life's not that bad. Their life's not that bad. They don't even love you. They're not even Christians. And look how easy they have it, God. I, can, I, I, would, I would tend to argue that, that, that most everyone in here has made that argumentation at some point in their life. What's Habakkuk's response? Look with me in Habakkuk 3.18. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Praise. It is to praise God. That's his response. 
It reveals Habakkuk's heart. It shows us what his focus is. It shows us truly what he's dwelling on, what's ruminating in his heart, where his focus is, what his heart is actively worshiping, and what he wants in life. God. In essence, he's saying, God, you're allowing a terrible curveball to come my way and to come our way. I love you. I praise you. I need you. You alone are my salvation. You see how different that is from the typical response? So let, let's, let's, let's look at another biblical example. Let's look at Job. Here's what he said after the Sabaeans stole 500 oxen and 500 donkeys and killed all the servants that attended them, minus one. After fire fell from heaven and God killed 7,000 sheep and all the servants with them, minus one. After the Chaldeans raided and stole 3,000 camels and then killed all the servants with them, minus one. And here's the last and most terrible of external circumstances. All of his children were killed when the house of his oldest son fell on them. Here's his response. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Here it is. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. What do we do? We try to blame God. What do we do? We try and fight against God. What do we do? We try and say, God, this isn't good for me. I don't like this. I'm not enjoying it. It's painful. It's not fun. Uh, it's difficult. It's causing in me anxiety, fear, so on and so forth. And you know what God's doing? You fool. Hebrews chapter 11, where's your faith, brother? Where's your faith, sister? Why don't you have faith in me that if I am indeed God, that I'm actually going to do what I've said I'm going to do, that if I have actually started to do a good work in you, guess what I'm going to do? I'm not going to just check out and say, you know what, this one, let it flame out on his own. I'm, going to just, I'm just going to let him flame out on his own. I'm going to let him do whatever he wants to do, and I'm not even going to check him in his own sin, and I'm going to let him just turn into a ball of wax. No, he's saying, look, look to me. Look to me for guidance. Look to me for direction. Turn to my word. Pray fast. Seek the fellowship of other believers. Get a hold of me in the midst of, of, of the fact that you can't grab a hold to anything else in life right now because everything's jacked up. Everything's all over the place. Everything's messed up. Everything's muddy. Everything's messy. Have faith in me. Hopefully we can see Job's heart and what he worshipped here. God. Now, I want you to see this. I want you to see uh, his reaction to the external was indicative of his heart actively worshipping God. So back to Habakkuk 3, 18 and 19. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like hind's feet. He's made me walk on my high places for the choir director on my stringed instruments. I sing a song, God. It's about to get real bad. Let me set all this badness to music and praise you. Here's our second point. My reaction in the midst of the pain, loss, fear, etc., whatever it is, reveals the active worship of my heart. My reaction in the midst of pain, loss, fear, etc. reveals the active worship of my heart. Now, remember though, this applies inwardly as well. Remember how Job uh, responded when he was put through the ringer, externally speaking. Remember all everything, so all the numbers that I actually use there to, to describe uh, oxen, camel, donkeys, that whole nine yards, the sheep, so on and so forth. That was representative of everything that Job, that Job had. Everything to the number, if we look at the biblical account. It's not like he had, he still had half of everything left over after God allowed Satan to just rip it all out from him. No, that was everything he had in terms of material possessions and family short of his wife. So they went from having everything and literally living like a king and a queen to having nothing in one day. Not in one day, not over a period of time, in one day. You know why? Because every time a messenger would run from the field to tell Job the terrible news, it would say, and then the next messenger ran up saying, here's more bad news for you. So he got hit. Boom, 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 boom. 
then all your kids are dead. Boom. Yet I will praise you, God. Yet I will praise you. Look at what happened after Job was afflicted by the permission of God to be utterly destroyed by boils. Now understand, this wasn't, this wasn't just like uh, he had some bad acne all over his body. No, these were festering, probably golf ball plus size pockets of pus that were excruciating, that were eating his flesh away and were digging into his muscles. Here's how he got relief from that. He broke pottery and scraped his own skin. That's, that's the relief that he got. Oh, this feels good. Let me take some jagged pieces of pottery and scrape these boils off my skin. That's how much pain I'm in. And it said literally the biblical account from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Your feet are really sensitive, by the way. I know that. I've walked a lot of miles on these bad boys. Gotten a lot of blisters on these feet with a lot of weight on my back. Your feet are very sensitive. And think about that, how, how, how often we take for granted just walking around. Now imagine you have boils on the bottom of your feet. You have giant, open, festering wounds on the bottom of your feet, let alone your entire body. He was in the greatest of pain imaginable, short of being tortured literally to death. And now, it was so bad, this is what his wife said. His wife said, quote, curse God and die, period. What was Job's response from his heart? Job 2.10. He said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. All of this ultimately had to pass through the hands of God to get to Job. It wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't just swinging out there on his own, hanging out, and then all of a sudden, Satan was like, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I want to him right now. No, Satan literally had to go and ask God for permission because Job belonged to God. Which means that all of the things that Job experienced, the external and the internal, guess what? Were sovereignly and providentially controlled by the Almighty God of the universe. Without God in any way whatsoever being guilty of sin. Or without God in any way whatsoever being guilty of providing a temptation. Think about it, it was passively, God was passively allowing Satan to tempt Job by afflicting him. This was allowed. Job's saying, if God blesses me with perceived good, and that's according to His perfect will, when I receive what I might perceive as bad, that is still in accordance with God's perfect will. He said, I will not sin against God. I'm going to accept the good and I'm going to accept the bad. Habakkuk 3, 18 and 19. Here it is again. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hind's feet. He makes me walk on my high places for the choir director on my stringed instruments. Here's what he's saying. I will exult you, O God. I will rejoice in you, O God, my salvation. God, you are strength. God, you lift me up. God, you give me a better path. I love him so much, I'm going to make my praise of him a song to be played with stringed instruments after he gives me the worst news in my life. The absolute worst news that I could ever possibly fathom. Yeah, let's make this into a song. Not a woe is me song, but a song of God, I love you and I praise you and I thank you. This should be us if we are Christians. I'll say that again. This should be us if we profess to be Christians. How do we get to the level where this can be said of us? Ready for a simple answer? We read our Bibles, we gather together for fellowship. We gather together for worship. We gather together for the breaking of bread and doing ultimately mission work when we depart from here. Oh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. That's, that's, that's the Great Commission. We look out for one another and lift each other up. We pray, we fast, we look to God for provision, strength and assurance. We cease to look to ourselves and we look to God. We do what He's told us to do and we willfully humble ourselves before Him. 
Pretty simple. Pretty simple. And let me explain this. So many people, I think oftentimes, will, will say, they'll grab Christianity, and you'll especially see this with uh, you know, the televangelists, you'll see this with people like Kenneth Copeland, you'll see this with uh, uh, you know, the celebrities who've just recently converted and are still actively living like demons while they're professing the name of Jesus Christ. They say, Christianity's the best thing in the world. Every, health, wealth, and happiness. I've got it all now because I've got Christianity. Perhaps, perhaps, but I can think of very few biblical examples where God took somebody literally in the dumps by the world standard and turned around and made him a king minus Jesus Christ. However, I can think of every biblical character who was spiritually and morally, ethically in the dumps and God raised them up to a level of greatness they could not even begin to comprehend because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, because of the salvation found in God. Think about that. Christianity, I tell people this, Christianity is not easy. It's very difficult. But it's very easy. You will often be put through very difficult situations in life. Very difficult things will transpire in your family, with your friends, perhaps at work, uh, perhaps in your community. But it is very easy if you don't try and do it on your own and you turn to God in faith. That does not mean that it will not be difficult in this life. In fact, if we look at what Jesus promises real Christians, He said, guess what? It's going to be difficult. If they hated me, if they persecuted me, if they came against me for the words that I speak, you, being my servants, you're not greater than the Master, how on earth would you think that's not going to happen to you? So then throw any New Testament biblical character in there and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Trace their life from when the Bible started talking about them in the New Testament until they either disappeared or church history says they were killed. Or they died. What is it doing 99% of the time? Oh, things like evangelizing, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, or leading a church. Being a Christian. Think about, and this is, this is history, okay? This is, this, this is actual history. This is not pseudo, you know, mythical magic or anything like that. This is, this is actual history, and everyone agrees with this. Think about how many Christians were dipped in tar, set on fire, and then put up as crosses in Rome to light streets like street lamps. If you dig deep enough in the news, you'll see that Christians are still dying in heavy numbers in the Middle East and Africa. If you are a pastor in uh, North Korea, or a, past, in a, a true Christian pastor in North Korea, or a true Christian pastor in China, get this, it's not about what seminary you've been to, they're, they're, how, they, how they turn around and say, you know what, I'm ready to lead this church. It's how long you've been imprisoned for the public proclamation of the gospel. Most of them three plus years. Oh yeah, you were imprisoned three years for Jesus Christ and you haven't recanted? Yeah, you can lead a church. Why? Because guess what? You're either going to have a psychopath or you're going to have a real Christian there. Only one or two. And it's not going to take too long to figure out that guy's not a psychopath, he's just a real Christian. Why? Because guess what happens when persecution creeps in? Guess what happens? The people who are not Christians run away. That's church history. That's world history. When persecution creeps in, when the public proclamation of the Gospel brings hatred in from the outside, or brings discord from the inside out, guess what happens? The people who do not love the Bible, who do not want the Bible, who do not care about Christ, who are not Christians, guess what they do? They flee. How can I prove that biblically? First John, I believe it's chapter 2. They proved that they were not of us because they went out from us. Ah. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me throw, let me throw uh, this out there. Here's a reason for, for leaving a church. Here's a reason for leaving a church. Because the gospel is not being proclaimed there or a false gospel is being proclaimed there. That is a great reason to leave a church. That's actually a biblical reason to leave a church because it's not even a real church. 
But if the true gospel is being taught and preached and toiled over, and Christians are drawing together in prayer and their love of the Christ and of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not a reason to leave a church. Biblically, in any way whatsoever. Think about this for a second. What do we do when we see people departing from true churches in America? Let's say, let's say John MacArthur's church, Grace Church, out in, uh, out in California. What, what do we do when we see people depart for unbiblical reasons? Well, I don't like him. He's too hard in the sermon texts. Uh, he doesn't seem loving enough from the pulpit. He tells me the truth. He's exposing my sin and it makes me uncomfortable. Do we then choose to neglect God? What heart of worship is that actually exposing? Here's my, here's my logic. Here's, here's my tough logic. If God is God, here's a conditional statement. If God is actually God, why would we stop worshiping Him together as a church congregation because we have a problem with another human being who's created by God or another group of human beings who are also created by God? There it is. That is the exposing of a heart that is not considering God in the first place or God as what is most important in this life. It is exposing a heart that desires to have its own way above God's word and God's own plan for his church. You see, we, we want things that God hasn't promised or that he's forbidding or that he doesn't want us to have at all. And then we find confliction with, with God rather than man. When we boil that down to its, its base level, the reality is that we don't have a problem with anybody else. We have a problem with God. We have a problem with God. But, here's the beautiful part. When we submit ourselves to Him in the midst of our situation, when we seek Him diligently with and through prayer uh, in the reading of his word when we truly understand that he will never leave us nor forsake us we truly understand that if he has indeed begun a good work in us that he will actually bring it to completion like he said he's going to do if we do that we know that he will not allow us to be tested or tempted beyond what is bearable if we will simply turn to him Think about the words of Habakkuk. I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I will exult the Lord. What did Job say? I will praise the name of the Lord. I will love Him. Though everything seems foreign and terrible and awful, yet I will follow Him. Not a group of people, not one man, not a uh, this, that, or the other, not some movement, no. To the wind with all of that, I will follow God. I will seek Him. I will search Him out. I will hunt Him down even if it does not seem like I can find Him in the midst of the situation because He promises that He's there. Because he says ultimately, guess what? If you seek me, if you're actually a true seeker of God, if you try and look for me, you will find me. But here's what God does sometimes. Here's, here's part of the difficulties of the Christian life. Here's what God does sometimes. Sometimes, he withdraws himself from us. Sometimes he does. It doesn't mean that He's left us, but sometimes He withdraws His felt presence from us and allows us to experience things that we think are terrible, awful, wicked, heinous, etc. in order that He might reveal to us and reveal to the world what our heart actually is and what it actually wants. Because if you were always flying on spiritual level 99.5, you would have no need to have much faith in Him. But when you're in the spiritual dumps, 
and you're like at negative 15 because of the things that have gone on either in your body or external situations, that's when you're in the dumps, when you're looking up, you're saying, God, man, this is really crummy. I don't like it, but I love you. And I know for whatever reason, you have sovereignly put me here in order that I might continue to grow in Christ's likeness and worship you and love you because that's what you tell me to do. Think about it. What, 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 what happened every time someone got beat or whipped or stoned in the New Testament? I love you, God. Man, that hurts. I'm going to keep going. Paul was, I think, five times received uh, 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. So they believed that about 40 lashes was the average that it would take to kill a man. And so instead of doling out 40 for punishment, they'd do 39. Five times. Imagine what his back looked like. I can tell you exactly what it looked like. After repeated trauma to the back with a rod or a whip to that level, you would be hunched over perpetually in a sea. Your back would look like a boomerang. Paul, super apostle, wrote 40% in the New Testament. Likely one of the most successful evangelists of all time in human history. More successful than Jesus Christ himself. In terms of what you would say churches planted or converts made by a biblical standard. That doesn't mean that he was better than Jesus. Understand that. Please check that statement right there. Super apostle. Beat to death. Stoned. Shipwrecked. Bit on the hand by a viper. God, I love you. Man, I am cold. I'm freezing. About died from the shipwreck that I was just in and a, a, a snake just bit my hand. Man, God, I love you. You are good. You know what? You want to kill me right now from the, snake, from the snake? Hey, I won't be cold. I won't be shipwrecked. I won't be hungry. That's actually, that's a step up for me, God. But, maybe you're going to choose to let me live in order that these crazy islanders, I think it was Malta, if I'm not mistaken, these crazy islanders here, when they see that thing latch onto my hand and I shake it off into the fire and I keep serving other people and loving them and looking like a Christian, they're going to be like, oh, what is this? Which is the exact same situation that goes on when, as a Christian, if our lives, by the world's standards, just flamed out because of something outside of us or physically inside of us. And we continue to praise and to love and to honor God. They look at us and they say, what on earth is motivating that person? What are they doing? You say, well, I have Christ in me. I'm a Christian. I believe in something much higher than this empty world with its death and decay. Though my body rot, though it fall away, I will praise you, God. I will love you. Uh, one of our favorite pastors, uh, Vadi Bakum, for example, Vadi Bakum, um, started a, uh, I believe it was in Zimbabwe, right? Uh, started a, 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 his own college uh, to train up eventually men who could get to an education level where they could go to seminary that he also provided basically on his own dime uh, to teach pastors in Zimbabwe. Highly successful American preacher and teacher. Uh, he's, I believe, in his mid-40s. His heart just failed him. Utterly failed him. And so here's a man, literally, who's a, a mountain of a man. Massive man. Uh, uh, practically a semi-pro judo wrestler. Seriously, legitimately. Uh, just, just, just a machine. Machine for God, machine for his family, uh, and a physical machine. And God shut his heart down. Heart disease. He said, I can't even walk. He just had open heart surgery, uh, I believe two days ago here in America. They flew him back. And, and here's, here, here was his complaint. Here was his complaint. I can't lead my wife right now. I feel like I can't lead my wife right now. Not, oh God, I want a new heart. Oh God, I need uh, this or I need that. God, this is the spiritual responsibility that you've given me and I'm struggling to feel like I can fulfill this right now. That was the only complaint I think that we've seen him publicly make was that he felt like he couldn't lead his wife and his kids in the same way that he used to be doing. And that his wife was now having to take care of him. 
but he said, I will praise God and I love God and I will not stop loving God though my heart has failed me, though my health is gone and though I can't walk across my hotel room. Bow with me. God, all too often, um, we try and swing out on our own vine, in our own power, on our own path. That vine breaks, we fall, we hit the ground really hard, we scratch our head, and, and oftentimes we'll look for earthly reasoning as to figure out how we got there in the first place and then complain about our situation that in reality many times we've allowed ourselves to get into or we've brought about on our own simply because we were not looking to You. God, that You would purify Your church, that You would strengthen us. God, that You would grow us, that You would draw in people who either want to know You because You have changed their hearts and You're drawing them as John chapter 6 says, or giving them new life as John chapter 3 says, or giving them a new heart as Ezekiel chapter 36 says, or breathing life into dead bones as Ezekiel chapter 37 says, or You're fulfilling the Gospel like it says in Genesis chapter 3. God, I pray that You would bring people here who want to know You. God, that You would bring other Christians to pull alongside of us. Father, that You would do something mighty and amazing and preposterous by our standard. And that we would step out of the way. God, that we would pull away from this and say, You did it. We love You. You did it. We praise You. But, if you do none of that, God, when you bring persecution, you bring hatred, you allow for those things to come, let us be a people who says we love you and we praise you and we are so thankful for our God in Christ Jesus even in the midst of something that we don't necessarily like want let us pull ourselves out of the way let us decrease let you increase let Christ increase God expose our hearts help us to see the areas in our own lives that we need to change in order that we might look more like Christ and be more effective ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ more effective husbands or fathers more effective mothers or wives more effective children in Christian service. God, knowing that ultimately the, the source, the wellspring of this is You. It's not from us. Help us to see what You desire, Father. Because it's in Your Word. Grow us closer to You every day. Lord, we love You, we praise You, and we thank You. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ, of Yeshua, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of peace, the Holy One, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. It's in His name, God, that we pray to You, asking all these things in accordance with Your will. Amen. If you would...